Let us uh, prepare our hearts this morning. I'm going to uh, read a couple different passages um, from 1 Peter. Uh, so I'll be reading from uh, a few verses from chapter 1 and then a few verses from chapter 2. So let's, let's set our, our minds and our hearts upon uh, God's Word. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober... And rest your hope fully upon the grace that is, brought, that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. And then in chapter 2, beginning in verse 4, Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word, to which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. Let's take a moment in preparation to worship the one who has shown us mercy in Christ. Let's take a moment of silent meditation and preparation. Amen. Please rise now as we hear the call of our Heavenly Father. The call this morning comes from Psalm 97. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the multitude of isles be glad. Light is sown for the righteous and gladness for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, you righteous, and give thanks at the remembrance of of his holy name. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, let us do so. Let us give praise and thanksgiving to God, uh, starting with 570. Praise God from whom all blessings flow, and then we'll be singing hymn number 216.
Praise to the Lord the Almighty. And then 
in the name of the triune God, in the heavens, before your throne, with the angels and just men made perfect around your throne. And we join with them. We pray that you would enable us to, to set our minds on things above and not on the things of the earth. To fix our eyes on Jesus this day. To understand what life is about from a heavenly perspective. Grant us that. So that as we go down from the mountain, as we come back to earth, as we go about this week, we would be so heavenly minded that would we, we would be of earthly good for your glory's sake. And so we ask for your blessing now as we approach the holy uh, throne. Um, grant us a true repentance of our sins. We thank you for the forgiveness in Christ. Call us to consecration. May your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Provide for us our of the things we need. Equip us for the war that's, that we face against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Prepare us to go forth in the name of Jesus Christ for your kingdom and glory. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. This morning we do have opportunity to confess our sins before the Lord with a responsive reading found in your bulletin. That reading comes from Psalm 32, verses 1 through 5. I'll read the light type if you could respond in the dark. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledge my sin unto you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgression unto the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Father in heaven, we do come to you and we thank you, Lord, for these words which were penned by David, guided by the Spirit, concerning his confession of sin and his acknowledgement of the blessedness that we experience when we understand, when we are forgiven by you. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven whose sin is covered. And so we do want to confess, as David did, our sins. The ways that we have offended you. Even today, even driving here or as we rise out of bed, uh, we had thoughts or attitudes that were not right we also this week did not live fully in and according to that which we said last week 
concerning loving you with all and our neighbor as ourself, as summarized in the Ten Commandments. So we have not honored you as our Heavenly Father. We have not honored you, Lord Jesus. We have not honored you. We've grieved you, Holy Spirit. And so we do acknowledge that we have sinned. That's not our identity. That's not who we are. But we have sinned. And so we do confess those things that are a violation of your perfect will for us. That which is good for us, we violate it. And so we do look to you, Lord Jesus, and your sacrifice once for all, once again, that we may truly be blessed because you covered our sins through your blood shed once for all. And you have clothed us in your righteousness, that we are holy before you, and we are called to be holy, to walk in who we are, in Christ. And so we ask that you would equip us, enable us to do so, to honor you, our Father, who has forgiven us in Christ. And so we pray that you'd open our lips and open our hearts, that we may show forth your praise. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so once again, you'll turn in your hymnals to hymn number 356. Come, you faithful, raise the strain, focusing on the resurrection of Christ, which is our hope.
Please be seated. And if you'll turn with me to the creeds and confessions, to the Nicene Creed on page uh, 852, and then we'll be working through uh, Lord's Day 48 in the Canons of Dort. So, beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, what is it you believe? I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who, for us men, and for our salvation, came down from heaven, and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sits on the right hand of the Father, and he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. And then you'll also find that half sheet, and if you'll join with me as we uh, continue on working through uh, the rejection of errors, the fifth head of doctrine, the perseverance of the saints. I'll read the light type, if you'll please read the dark type. The true doctrine having been explained, the synod rejects the errors of those who teach that true believers and regenerate can sin the sin unto death or against the Holy Spirit. Since the same Apostle John, after having spoken in the fifth chapter of his first epistle, verses 16 and 17, of those who sin unto death and having forbidden to pray for them, immediately adds to this in verse 18, we know that whosoever is begotten of God sinneth not, meaning a sin of that character. But he that was begotten of God keepeth himself, and the evil one touches him not. The synod rejects the errors of those who teach that without a special revelation, we can have no certainty of future perseverance in this life. For by this doctrine, the sure comfort of the true believers is taken away in this life, and the doubts of the papists are again introduced into the church, while the Holy Scriptures constantly deduce this assurance, not from a special or extraordinary revelation, 
but from the marks proper to the children of God and from the very constant promises of God. So especially the Apostle Paul, no creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And John declares, And he that keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. And hereby we know that, we, that he abides in us by the Spirit which he gave. Amen. One of the things that uh, we've said before is the importance and the necessity of de defining our terms. If you're in a debate with someone, sometimes part of the problem in the debate, if you have two different definitions of a word, there can be confusion or misunderstanding. And so it is important to understand what we're talking about. And in particular, uh, for example, is the word regeneration. It's mentioned here uh, that true believers and regenerate. Okay? And so the idea is, what does it mean to be Regenerate. What does it mean to be born again or, or born from above? Who causes it? What is it? Is it a complete change of the person into a new cre creation, new creature? Or is it some uh, thing that you do? Another way of asking the question, what comes first, regeneration or faith? The Arminian in this particular, uh, the people that uh, sent in these complaints would say that faith causes regeneration. Faith precedes regeneration. We understand in the Bible, regeneration is the work of the Holy Spirit applying Christ, the work of Christ to us. It is a sovereign work of grace. So regeneration precedes grace. And regeneration is a significant event it is probably the most important event in your life beyond your birth, even greater than your birth, is being born a second time because you escape death. You're born dead. You're born in death. Regeneration is being brought to life. It's resurrection, if you will. So as we read the rejection of errors here, notice the error that true believers and regenerate can send the sin unto death or against the Holy Spirit. In other words, we can fall and God can fail. Believe that? He has begun a good work, will not complete it until the day of Christ, unless you help God do it. Is that what's being said here? Again, being regenerate means to be a new creation. What did Paul say? We are new creatures in Christ. The old things have passed away. Behold, some things have become new. Is that what the passage says? No, what does it say? All things have become new. A radical transformation. We're regeneration from the dead. He makes us alive. All of these are the definition. And so uh, the question is, what about the statement by John about a sin unto death? Now again, stop and think about it. The term itself for a regenerate person would be contradictory. 
sin that leads to death. A regenerate person is alive in Christ. Can that person sin and die spiritually if he's already alive in Christ? The answer is no. There's a contradiction in terms. In other words, it's not only the reprobate Esau, not the elect of God, Jacob. Does that mean that we don't do anything? No. What does, Paul, what does Peter say? Make your calling and election sure. There's that perseverance. But again, there's an error here. And again, notice that in our text that the answer is verse 18. We know that whoever is begotten of God, born of God, regenerated, sins not, meaning a sin of that character, the sin unto death, the sin uh, against the Holy Spirit, but he that is begotten of God keeps himself and the evil one does not touch. So John actually explains what he means in the passage. And so it's taken out of context, misapplied. Uh, the correction is the scriptures themselves. Um, second, the other error, paragraph 5, is the insufficiency of Scripture and the insufficiency of the working of the Holy Spirit through these means. Notice that. For uh, that without a special revelation, we can have no certainty of future perseverance in this life. Did you hear, you hear that? I don't know about you, when I hear that language... My, my, my hair goes up on the back of my neck. The idea that I need to have a special revelation from God to know whether I'm elect and whether I will persevere. Uh, I was saved out of that environment. Uh, the Lord told me such and such. Okay? No, the Bible is sufficient. And that's what this passage is saying. What does it do? It attacks the comfort we have in resting in Christ. It removes that comfort. But notice, what does it say at the very end? What is the evidence? There is their evidence? Yes. That is the marks proper to the children of God and the very constant promises of God. And I think that's the basis, right? Does God ever break his promise? Does God ever broke his promise? No. Very good. God has, keeps his promise. God is faithful. And God's promise is yes and amen. Does that bring comfort to us? Yes. Yeah, if I focus on myself, I'm, I'm, I like the one song that I was listening to yesterday. My faith is like shifting sand, right? If I stood on my faith, I would be down. But I don't. I stand on the rock of Christ. I stand on the promises of God. God's word is yes and amen. And I see the work of the Spirit in my life. I know that uh, he who's begun that work will complete it. Or like, he, like it says in the passage, no creature can separate us, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Are you a creature? Have you been created by God? Are you a creature? Yes, no, maybe so. Are you a creature? Let me read it again. No creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Does that include you? You hear the difference. You hear that. And 
He that keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that we abide in him by the Spirit which he gave us. So he does give us the Spirit, but we have to be careful not to be looking for a new Bible, new, new revelation from God, special revelation from God. Amen? Amen. Thank you. So let's prepare for uh, the message today. Where we'll be looking at, uh, in particular, chapter 5 of Ephesians. But let's uh, first pick up our hymns, hymnal and turn to hymn number 156. Do we know this thing? Yes, we do. 156. Christ, whose glory fills the sky. Turn your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. Hopefully by now they kind of plop open there, since we've been in this letter for a while. We'll begin reading in chapter 4, verse 17. Our text this morning is chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. Here now, the word of our God. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, past, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, 
And that you put on the new man, which was created according to God, in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you, with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us in offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light." The grass withers, the flower falls, but God's word abides forever. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this portion of your word, and we thank you, Holy Spirit, for guiding the Apostle Paul in writing these things, that contrast of light and darkness, the contrast between walking in the spirit and walking in the flesh. We pray, O Lord, that you would... Uh, enable us to see more and more who we are in Christ and to live accordingly. And so we do pray that you would enable us to walk in the love of God found in Christ. We pray, O Lord, that we would also be those that would minister grace to those who hear, that we would be those lights in a dark and wicked world that we are passing through. We pray, O Lord, that you would enable us to be those light bearers, holding forth the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray, O Lord, that you would enable us, O Lord, to be those light bearers. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, how many of you have ever read the book of Daniel? You read the book of Daniel before? You have. Great. 
In the book of Daniel, what's interesting, there's two chapters talking about the same thing, about world events in chapter 2 and chapter 7. If you're familiar with that, what happened? Nebuchadnezzar has a dream in chapter 2, and, and nobody can uh, tell him. He, he, he challenges them and says, tell me my dream and tell me the interpretation. If you can tell me the dream, then I know that you can give me the interpretation. And what happened? All of his wise men could not. And then he said, okay, well, let's kill them all. And including them were Daniel and his three friends. And so Daniel hears the decree that he was to be killed, and he goes to the king and he says, I will uh, ask of God, he prays, and God gives him the dream and the interpretation. So you're familiar with that dream? The dream is that of a huge statue. Remember, it was made of gold at the top, and then silver, and then bronze, and then at the very bottom, there was um, iron mixed with clay. Remember that event, that uh, dream? And, uh, and Daniel gives the interpretation. The gold is the Babylonian Empire, and the silver is the Medo-Persian Empire turned into two, and then the Greeks, and then the Romans, uh, basically. So this was the perspective of world history from the time of Daniel all the way to the time of Christ. Uh, it was a glorious Um, And then what you find is Nebuchadnezzar reacts to this. What does he do? He goes out and builds this huge idol, the statue that's all gold. And he commands everybody to bow down and worship it, including Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know that story. What is he doing? He's saying, no, no, no. It's not going to be the Babylonian and then the Persian and all that. It's going to be Babylon. Chapter 7, Daniel has a dream. Same world events. But when he describes his dream, his dream has four beasts. Same world events pictured in beasts. Two perspectives on world events. One for man, glorious, One from God, animals. And ultimately, in his dream, who comes but the Son of Man and destroys, becomes victorious over all the beasts, all the kingdoms of this earth. Two different perspectives. Light, darkness. Image, animals. Do we find these kind of contrasts throughout the Bible? And the answer is yes. In our text this morning, the contrast is children of darkness, sons of darkness, and children or sons of light. Can you think of any contrast greater than darkness and light? That's what Paul is talking about today. In particular, we're looking at verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. 
So you are the light of the world. So my main point is in the outline. Praise God that he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. Paul exhorts us, let us walk worthy of our calling as light bearers and imitators of God. And so what have we been doing? We've been working through this this, uh, letter of grace. And, you know, I forgot to add the other part. I would uh, would like to add the word glory. Uh, This letter is a letter of grace and glory. Again and again, we see the contrast between darkness and light and glory. So we've come to this portion now. We're in chapter 4 and now into 5. And he is exhorting us, therefore, verse four, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, um, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling wherewith you were called. So he's now getting into talking about walking. He'd been talking about standing, or actually seated in, Christ, in heavenly places in Christ, the first three chapters. And now he's been talking about conducting our lives, or walking in the Spirit, walking in Christ. And so, uh, what does he do in particular? We looked at last week, actually the past couple weeks, his exhortation to put off, be renewed, and put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so those are the points, uh, at least the first two points of the sermon, we'll come back to that. Put off the deeds of darkness, or the unfruitful works of darkness, as is described in this letter. Notice again, for you were once darkness. What is Paul doing? He's going back again. Has he done this before? Has he talked about being dead in trespasses and sins and so on, and then contrast them with where you are now? And the answer is yes. But before we launch into that, I just want to just comment on some of the verses before verse 8, and that is, here in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5, we are called to imitate God. God's kindness, God's forgiveness, God's love, God's holiness. If we are light bearers, is that the light? Is the kindness of God light in a dark, evil world? Is God kind to you in Christ? Are we called to show forth kindness to others? Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, an offering and sacrifice to God as a sweet-smelling savor. But before that, he says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Do you find it hard to forgive someone? Is it hard to forgive? Especially when you're hurt and they meant it? At least you think they did, right? It's hard. Take upon yourself the judgment that they should get. How about the love of Christ? Jesus said, a greater commandment is this, so you would love your neighbor as I have loved you. Can you do that? No. Can Christ do that through you? Yes. 
Then he gets into, in verses 3 through 6, he brings forth a prohibition, a talk about sexual vices, a warning about those who practice those vices. And then, beginning in verse 7, he says, Therefore, do not be partakers with them, for you were once there, but now you have left so what, is, what are these, these sexual things? What's going on here? What he's basically doing, he's, he's going from sac- self-sacrificial love of Christ to self-indulgent sensuality, the works of darkness. Would you say that our society is caught up in self-centeredness? Would you? It's all about me, my opinion, my truth, my freedom to do whatever I want to do? Is that the natural man? Is that the man in Adam? Is that our culture? And the answer is yes. Is our society a society of sexual immorality? Unrestrained sexual behavior? Is, would that be a good way to describe our society? Well, it was the society that Paul was addressing there in Ephesus in the Greco-Roman world. But notice also that insatiable greed whereby a person assumes that others exist for his or her own gratification. Is that a temptation? To look upon other people as existing for you. I use them to get what I want. Is that a temptation? To use things to get what I want. These are called darkness by Paul. For you were once darkness. What is darkness? The absence of light. Scripture describes God's presence. God is light. Scripture describes righteousness. The righteousness of God is light. You were once darkness itself. Persons in whom darkness became visible. Darkness was our identity, our state in Adam, into which we were born. Is that a hard statement to hear? You were once darkness itself. That's what Paul is saying. Our state in Adam. So what does that mean? Well, let's go through it. Number one, we were, are, are in Adam. We are bound. We are in covenant with death. We are separated from God and from life, again, darkness, separated from light. What is darkness but the absence of light? Okay, light reflects God and life. We were bounded or bonded in covenant with death. The wages of sin is death. In man's fall, we are bonded in covenant with Satan. We are called children of the devil, servants of Satan, enemies of God, and haters of God. And I have all kinds of scriptures. Each of those statements is based on scripture. I'm not going to be reading all that because we'll be here all day. We are bonded with Satan. Is that a hard thing to hear in Adam? You were born bound in the kingdom of darkness. Satan was your master. Apart from Christ, all are children of the devil. 
Thirdly, we are bonded or in covenant with the world. Luke 16, 8 says, Jesus says, the sons of this world are more, shrew, uh, are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. So we are not of the world. We are children of light, but there is children of this world. Number four, we were bonded in covenant with the flesh, the total corruption of our nature, our mind, our will, and our emotions. And again, I'm just skipping over a lot of scripture. Each each of these words are based in scripture. Man by nature is wholly corrupt. Isaiah says it this way, from the sole of the foot, even unto the head, there is no soundness in him. Every aspect of our being. So the world, the flesh, the devil, death. We are totally unable to do anything good according to God's standard. Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. The writer to Hebrews says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. We are, we, and furthermore, in Adam, we continually do sin, such as tempting independence from God, or at least disobedience to God's will. Seventh, abiding under his wrath and condemnation. We are guilty before him, Romans 3.19. And this one's a tough one. Vessels of wrath fitted for destruction, Romans 9.22. In sum, in Adam, all of us were, we were sin, that was our identity, or darkness, and we do sin, the fruits of darkness. Paul cries out, O wretched man that I am, should we not also, in Adam, cry out, O wretched man that I am, O wretched woman that I am, who shall deliver us from this body of death? What's Paul's answer? Thanks be to God for the redemption of Christ through his sufferings and death in the place of sinners. Jesus Christ has fully satisfied the justice of the thrice holy God. And so for all those things that I described are things we talk about we once were. You understand that? Paul says in our text, you were once darkness. You understand that? That's what he's describing. Every man, woman, and child born into this world is darkness are all those things. Bonded to, the, to death, the world, the flesh, the devil, are totally unable, and on and on and on. So salvation, the Bible says, is of the Lord. Right? has to be. If we're dead, we're darkness, we can't make ourselves light, can we? And therefore, he says... Point two, put on the light of the Lord. Or he says it this way, but now you are light in the Lord. And notice that phrase, in the Lord, in Christ. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. 1 John 1.5. 
He now calls us to walk in the light or the love of Christ. Verse 2. We have been forgiven. We have been given grace. And so therefore now walk in the grace and the forgiveness of Christ. Walk in the light. Therefore those who are found in Christ Jesus are declared to be light in the Lord. Or here's, and, and for you, for me, it blows my mind. Light personified. Now, I know the Bible says that Jesus is the light of the world. I understand that. I, I, I can accept that. No, no problem. But what, ha- what I have a hard time getting my head around is when Jesus says, you are the light of the world. How is that so? I understand that Jesus is the light of the world, but, 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 but me? Or here he says it here, but now... You are light in the Lord. That kind of answers my question. So what is he talking about? Well, I'm called to be a light bearer, just like these lights are. These lights don't make light without energy, right? Without electricity, what happens to these lights? They are not making light. What's the... Where does the light come from? The light comes from Christ. Light, the light of Christ shining forth in a dark world. That light is carried by you and me. I don't know about you. That, in a sense, blows my mind. God transforms us to be bearers of the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. What has, what has he done for you? How has he made you into that light bearer? Number one, he has called you. He's summonsed you with his power. We believe in effectual calling. What does that mean? God calls and his call includes his power, ability to enable someone to respond to the call. The call is effectual. He's the one who regenerates. And what's interesting, Paul writes to Titus that there is a washing that occurs with regeneration. The washing of regeneration, Titus 3.5. And the renewal of the Holy Spirit. New life implanted. Ability to do spiritual good restored. And so he takes away the negative, the past, he washes it away, but he also positively, by the work of the Holy Spirit, gives us new abilities. We can walk in the light because we have the light. Regeneration purifies, regeneration renews. It's a new creature in Christ. That's our status. That's who we are. Furthermore, We are justified. God has declared us legally not guilty and righteous before him. I don't know about you, but to me, that brings great comfort. I am righteous in Christ before God and an heir of eternal life, right? How many times have I said that? It's in the catechism. Not only that, but God, by an act of legal transfer or adoption, He's translated us from an alien family into the family of God himself. And I heard a song uh, this weekend, 
And in it, the person is singing, and, and, and I can't remember if it's he or she, but they say there are no orphans in the family of God. Isn't that a cool statement? There's no orphans in the family of God. If God is my father, I'm not an orphan if I'm in his family. We are adopted by God. We are now identified as children of God. In other words, for saying all of this, we can say every man, woman, and child are born in covenantal union with Adam, but those upon whom God applies the finished work of Christ are said to be in covenantal union with Christ, and that's where that statement is. But now you are light in the Lord. In the Lord. Union with Christ in the Lord is the central or unifying aspect of the whole of salvation. Can you understand that? Salvation is being in Christ, being having that bond, relationship with a person. It's not just having my sins removed. It's not all these other things. It is summarized in Christ. I am in Christ. I'm in the sphere of Christ. I am with him. He is with me. Salvation is in Christ. Is Paul, how important is this to Paul? So much so that he says it 67 different ways, 67 times in his letters, including here, in the Lord. In chapter 1 of this letter, chosen in Christ, predestined us in Christ. Chapter 2, united with Christ in his death, resurrection, and exaltation. Chapter 2, again, redeemed and reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. In chapter 2, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, walk as children of light, and so on. In Christ, uh, that believers have died. Uh, we've died in Christ. Now we're getting into the future. We sleep in Christ. We will be resurrected and glorified in Christ. So past, present, future for the believers is found in Christ. Do you hear that? In the Lord. That's our identity. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Since we are now in Christ, Paul exhorts us to walk, to continually order our behavior according to those who we are, who, uh, we are in Christ. Have I been talking about that over and over and over again? Talk about our identity affects our actions. Who we are affects what we do. If you haven't heard that, welcome. Who you are affects what you do. That's what Paul is saying here. You were once darkness. That's who you were. You believe in Jesus Christ. You are no longer. You're in Christ. You are now in the light in the Lord. So now, conduct your life in the light. Walk. Conduct your life in Christ. Paul, uh, Peter says it this way. Be ye holy in all manner of life, for I am holy. So 
another way of saying the same thing. So what does it mean? You're a saint. You're a holy one. Well, what does that mean? I'm being changed to be more and more. Right? There's more and more darkness that is being shed away as more light shines through the Holy Spirit. We call it sanctification. And I have, and I'm going to skip it, but I have about 10 pages, 11 pages of notes on what it means to be holy. I'm going to skip that for time's sake. But I do want to come back and talk about that third point, walking as children of light. In other words, we are being exhorted to holy living and progressive sanctification. Chapter 4, verse 1, walk worthy of your calling. Chapter 4, verse 17, walk not as the other Gentiles walk. Put off the old manner of life. Put on the new man. Chapter 5, verse 2, in our text, walk in love. Chapter 8, I'm sorry, chapter 5, verse 8, walk as children of light. We'll pick up that walk in verse 15, walk circumspectly or accurately. So we are called now to walk in the light. But at the same point in time, there are dangers, various danger signs of spiritual complacency that are found in the scriptures that need, they serve as warning lights. And so I just want to uh, just cover a few of those real quickly. Here are some warning lights. Use them to search your hearts and your lives to see if there is uh, any drawing away from God. Number one, is there an inordinate uh, sense of pride concerning how far along in sanctification or how mature a Christian you are compared to other Christians or even non-Christians? You ever said, well, we're better than, and you fill in the blank, I'm better than so-and-so. They say they're Christians, but I'm more mature. I'm more spiritual than they are. That ever come to mind? An inordinate sense of pride. Paul writes, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Proverbs said, he who trusts in his own heart is a fool. Is that a temptation to compare ourselves with someone else? Well, I'm not as bad as them. I'm more spiritual than them. I'm talking to myself as well. So I'm preaching myself, you guys are listening. Number two, is there a lack of conviction of sin? Or is it easy to fall into sin and to justify it? Is there a lack of sorrow for sin? That's a danger sign. That's a warning, isn't it? Does, does, another way of saying is, when you sin, does it break your heart? Or can you just do it? Eh, no big deal. I'm forgiven, so I can just go and sin. Paul here says, it's not once, it should not be once named among us. He brings in uncleanness or darkness. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Would that include our own sin in our members? Yes. How about another one? A lack of submission to God's revealed word. He that knows what to do and does it not, it is sin. 
The Word of God is God's primary tool of sanctification. It's a measure. James, as we looked at earlier, calls us to be a doer of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. Another one. Is there a lack of hunger for God's Word? Is there a... a do you do, do, I'm not asking, do you do devotions? I'm asking, do you hunger to do devotions? Do you, or do you hunger to say, I need to eat. I need to read God's word. If, if a man does not live by bread alone, but by every word proceeds from the mouth, I need to eat. Is there a hunger to know God, to talk to God, and to hear God talk to you through his word? Is there a lack of hunger or desire for intimate fellowship with God through prayer? Do you find yourself going through the motions when coming to the house of God? When you join in the worship, do you find yourselves mouthing the words while your mind and thoughts are somewhere else? Hmm? Now what a tricky one, right? Your mind. I have the excuse, I have to focus here. But I'm sitting in the pew. Do I have the temptation of my mind's off on something else? Yes, it has to be marshaled. I have ADHD. Or I jokingly say, squirrel. How about you? Well, I'll read it again. When you join in the worship, do you find yourself mouthing the words while your mind and thoughts are somewhere else? Boy, that is a temptation. How's your heart? Is there a lack of resolve in your heart right now concerning the sermon? Oh, here's another one. Are you concerned about the welfare of your family members here? Do you exercise your gifts and talents in service of the body of Christ? In other words, are you giving as well as receiving? Are you concerned? We're, in a big, we're a family. Concerned about your family here. Hosea says Israel is an empty vine. He brings forth fruit unto himself. According to the multitude of his fruits, he hath increase, he alters, but their heart is divided. How about this one? Are you struggling with impure thoughts and desires? In other words, are you focusing on your desires upon the blessings of God rather than upon God? So even the good things you get. Do you focus on them and forget God? Or are you thankful? Thank you, Lord, for this. He says here, covetousness. And he equates it with idolatry. Number seven, are you afraid to speak for what is right in the conversations around you? Is there a lack of concern for the non-Christians who abide under the wrath of God? How about that one? You pray for them, your co-workers. I was talking to someone about uh, the place where he works, so I'll leave it really general, and he says that he, the, uh, the amazing thing is some of the workers, uh, they can use blasphemy almost like a period in a sentence. Or other words are just all chock full 
every sentence has coarse jesting or vile conversation? Do you pray for that person if you have people like that? In the oil field, isn't that so? Do you pray for them? Do you care? These are a few of the warning signs. And you know where I, where I found them is in the Beatitudes of Jesus in Matthew 5. All of those were just looking at what Jesus said, the blessedness. The prophet Isaiah described this situation which Israel found herself in this way. Your goodness is as a morning cloud, and as the early dew, it goes away. Jesus talks about the four soils, right, in Matthew 13. The seed falling on the wayside, the stony places among thorns, or good soil. The question is, what kind of soil are you? Again, Paul is exhorting us, walk as children of light. God calls us to covenant renewal. Put off, be renewed, and put on. Walk as children of light. So again, we open the sermon with the contrast between two perspectives on world history. Here in our text, we have two perspectives on your history. You were once darkness. You were once those beasts. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, Paul says. God says. Shall we pray? Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for, again, this examination of ourselves, walking, how we are walking, uh, in using the words of Jesus, using the words of Paul. We thank you for that contrast, light and darkness, life and death. We pray that you would enable us to choose life that we may live, to walk in the light as he is in the light, to have fellowship with one another, having our sins cleansed. You've begun that work in us of sanctification. Continue that work, we pray. Show us our need more and more for a Savior. And grant us your grace, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's respond to God's word by giving of his tithes and our offerings. Father in heaven, we do come before you and we thank you for this ability to give back to you a portion.
we pray your blessing and wisdom uh, as well in the use of these resources for your kingdom's sake. We also thank you that you have commanded us and taught us to ask. You've commanded us and taught to ask for our daily bread. We ask that you would enable us to do your will. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. We also thank you that you are the one who answers prayer, and you do things through natural means, ordinary providence, and through supernatural means, extraordinary providence. And so we call, call on you as Father, and we call upon you to, to help us, to grant us your grace and help in time of need. And we are in need of you at all times. But in particular, we have many prayer requests in the bulletin, other prayer requests that we brought with us, things that we've been uh, wrestling with or care about uh, this week. Uh, we ask, O oh Lord, that you would hear, answer, and do uh, we lift up to you your son, uh, Michael Lassley, and Amy, and the family, extended family, as, uh, they, as they are going through this uh, shock and difficulty of uh, Mike having a stroke this week, and being now in the hospital and having to start um, physical therapy uh, tomorrow. We ask the Lord for restoration of our brother uh, we pray for comfort for the family. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would raise him back up to be able to continue to serve you in, in capacity as pastor in Watertown. We ask, O oh Lord, for your mercy in this situation. And we pray for those who are traveling to and from um, concerning this and other events. We think of Thanksgiving holidays here, and we ask for traveling mercies as well. We lift up to you Ethel and we understand that there is uh, the, now the determination of cancer that can be treated and she will begin radiation treatments this week. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would grant success in uh, the uh, treatments. Uh, we pray, O oh Lord, for um, uh, James as well as Ethel and the family um, who are there and those that are in other parts. We do pray uh, for restoration and healing. We pray for your mercy and grace for them. We, we thank you, Lord, for answered prayer concerning the Shimits as they are in Poland and things are going well. We do pray this week uh, that they would be able to go before the judge and the judge would render that proper decision so that they can come home with Mela. And so we ask, O Lord, for your blessing as they, uh, we pray that their time there would, would be short. We lay before you the many other needs that are listed, we thank you, Lord, for the answered prayer concerning the work, the works, the mission works, and the fulfilling of uh, uh, pulpits. We do pray that you continue to raise up men to fill the empty pulpits, the mission works. We lift up our brothers and sisters there in Idaho and ask for your blessing upon them as they uh, desire to see a church planted. We pray that you do so. Give wisdom to the Home Missions Committee concerning visiting and doing evaluation. We pray, O oh Lord, that your, your blessing to that community, that area, that you would raise up a church for those people, a lighthouse in a dark place. We pray, O oh Lord, that you strengthen us as the people of God, enable us to be that lighthouse here in Dickinson and surrounding areas. We pray these things. 
praying the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Uh, We have as our closing hymn, uh, Great is Thy Faithfulness, and this was requested by uh, someone recently celebrating her birthday in lieu of a birthday song. So let us turn to 245, Great is Thy Faithfulness.
You're laying in bed. You wake up because of the faithfulness of God. But you didn't perish while you slept. You got out of bed. You're standing. That's because of the faithfulness of God. Everything continues. Gravity continues because of the faithfulness of God. I, I've been reading about the ancient Near East and all the other peoples around Israel. They did not believe in the faithfulness of God. Because they had no promises from God. We have hundreds, hundreds of promises. And God is faithful. So, great song, great choice. Amen. Receive now God's blessing and benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his shalom, his faithfulness. In the name